I'm gonna try not to get emotional as I talk about this. <laughs> uh, you can. It's okay. That's I know. I don't want to cry on the podcast, Emily. I'm gonna cut everything. Um, You're gonna edit this. It'll be fine. I know. That's why. That's why I said I'm gonna cut everything. <laughs> it's gonna be a 15 minute episode. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna. It's gonna say big fish. Good, and then end of the episode. <laughs> anyway. Hello and welcome to It's the Greatest Show, Man, the show where we talk about the musicals you love and why they're great. And why they suck. I am your host, Brantley Wheeler. And I'm your co-host, Emily Chavone. So, Emily, how is it going? How are you today? It's going pretty good. How about you? It's going all right. It's going all right. Since we began this call, it is now a new day. (laughs) Right. Happy Saturday. (laughs) So that's why I had to ask you again. (laughs) incredible yeah oh man i'm just ugh right now <laughs> that's how i feel ugh i'm sorry well it's not your fault right well, I, I mean i also know that but you know right well i mean most of the time it is your fault but this particular time it's <laughs> this not this time it's not it's like the one percent of the time where it's not my fault and i'm gonna celebrate that a little <laughs> yeah well you know have a drink on me i guess it wouldn't be a recording session if something didn't go wrong. <laughs> That's absolutely true. If it didn't take us at least 30 minutes to figure out what the heck we're doing. I know, right? Anyway, so this week it is my turn to talk about another one of my favorite musicals. Yes. Yes. This week we are talking about Big Fish. We are, yeah. And I, I have known this is a musical that you love for a long time, mm-hmm. but I actually had never seen the musical or even the movie until I was prepping for this episode. So like in the last two days, <laughs> I've seen both the movie and the musical. Like I'd heard a couple of the songs. Like I, I mm-hmm. knew the opening numbers, Be the Hero, right? I knew that. Mm-hmm. And I somehow knew the song, Two Men in My Life. I don't know why I knew that song, but that was the one song from the show. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Big Fish. I know that song no idea why that's the song that i knew that is that is interesting let's we'll get into that that's all i knew about the show before two right. days ago well like you mentioned let's let's go talk about just let's talk about the musical in and of itself real quick so sure as you mentioned um it is a movie it was a movie second because it was a novel first mm-hmm. um, a novel by daniel wallace written in 1998 called big fish a novel of mythic proportions and then there was a 2003 film uh, by Tim Burton, um, and this musical is specifically based off of both of them. I actually thought it was just based off the book, but turns out they took elements from both and kind of mishmashed them together to make the musical, which is cool. Right. I was more familiar with the movie because the movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in my top five, like all-time favorite movies. So uh, when I had learned there was a musical based off of it i got really excited for those of anyone out there that's not familiar with this particular story um the story shifts between like kind of two timelines the present day world of 60 year old edward and his son will and then it jumps back and forth between edward telling stories to will when he's a a young kid like going from edward as as a teenager and then as a young adult and kind of you know going chronologically in that way but it's it's weird how it's kind of like filled up but will has a lot of animosity toward his dad because will's grown has grown up hearing these stories and because his dad is he likes to embellish a lot 
um, that he doesn't really know if or believe any of these stories are actually true, mm-hmm. you know. And then as the story progresses, Will kind of finds things out that, you know, are kind of like have truths, I suppose. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, first of all, I'll just ask this, Emily. What did what did you think? You've seen you've seen you've now seen the movie and the musical. What do you think? In the last 48 hours, I have watched both the film and mm-hmm. an amateur production. And honestly, I don't remember very much of it. <laughs> it's just like gone in one ear and out the other. It, I, it's kind of unmemorable to me. Okay. I think there's really great parts, but the story doesn't really do it for me. The music mm-hmm. is awesome. I love Andrew Lippa. Yeah, that's Andrew Lippa at his finest, I feel like. Uh, like the music perfectly captures every emotional beat. Mm-hmm. And then like also shout out to Larry Hawkman for the orchestrations because so much of that sound comes from the orchestrator too. Um, right. And there's so many of these fantasy driven moments it, that happen in the score that sound very like Stephen Schwartz, Alan Menken, like that mm, fantasy yeah, yeah. world. For sure. And I love that. I thought that was perfect for for what's happening. And then, like, the lyrics are almost constantly driving the plot, which is great for musical theater. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe in separating the art from the artist, but I just enjoy Andrew Lippa as a human. (laughs) (laughs) Like, listening to, I mean, we both listen to the Great Broadway Game Show competition. Like, I, I love that he's so knowledgeable about musical theater, but you can tell that just in general, he's very intelligent, but he's still very down to earth. Right. Um, actually, one of the things I did in prep uh, this afternoon was I went on uh, TRW's website to look at licensing stuff for Big Fish just to see if anything would pop up. Mm-hmm. And there is a video that he recorded that kind of talks through the score. And hmm. I found that 25 minute video more engaging than the actual musical. Wow. I'm so sorry. Wow. It was so funny. Shots fired. Oh, my big music theory nerd heart was just. <sighs> So many times I had to stop and just sigh and like, I just enjoyed it so much. (laughs) And I don't know if anyone else enjoys it as much as me, but I honestly, that was more memorable to me than the actual musical. (laughs) I feel so bad saying that. No, no, it's okay. I mean, like, apparently not a lot of people remember this as a musical to begin with. It didn't run very long. It only ran for about like, uh, when did it premiere here? It premiered in 2013 premiered in 2013 and only ran for 98 performances and did not get any tony nominations Mm-mm. which i will have some comments to make it was a big year though yeah 2013 was a big year and that's and that's fine you know uh i'm just you know not every musical is going to be a smash hit but it can still be beloved this one specifically is by me very much i this is a musical <laughs> is very beloved by me specifically yes please tell me more well i th- and like i said i think it's fine that you know it didn't do super super well but i know it has a special place for me um partially because it's based off one of my favorite movies and the movie always kind of just really resonated with me and so does the musical i would say the musical more so resonates with me than the movie did but you know the one thing i will say it's just if i just talk about it's just um i know you said you don't remember much of it but let's talk about the story (laughs) in general for this show first okay so the thing that I really appreciate there's several things I appreciate about this show uh, but one of the things I really do like is that this is a story about stories 
it's stories about life, stories about family, stories about, you know, what you're going to leave behind, your legacy. It's all kind of things like that. And that can mean, I mean, and even the, the title of the show in itself, Big Fish, has multiple meanings. And, you know, could you think about big fish stories, tall tales, kind of embellishments, you know, those type of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a quote from the show they do. I, I always think it's fun whenever they say the title of the show in the show. And they do in this, and it's pretty fun. Uh, we can, we'll get into it a little bit later, but just the, the quote from the show itself, because I wrote it down, is that to get in, to kind of go through the story, is that one of the points is, one of the parts of this story is that Edward, as a young man, uh, is traveling with a giant that he met, mm-hmm. whose name is Carl, and they go to a circus, and they meet Amos Calloway, who's like the ringmaster of the circus, owner of the circus, Calloway Circus. Right. And... Callaway basically recruits Carl to join the circus because he's a literal giant. He's like, this actor's always on stilts, which is really fun. I think it's a kind of a fun, a fun thing to do there with that particular character. As an actor who's had to do stilts before, mm-hmm. ugh. <laughs> well, every production <laughs> I've seen, they're holding a stick to, for support, so that's at least helpful. Well, and those the, most of the stilts I've seen, they're they're flat bottomed, so you can stand still. Mm-hmm. It's just the getting in and out of them, and then you know the. Okay, tangent. Mm-hmm. My when I was in college, uh, we did Barnum the musical, mm-hmm. and uh, our uh, ringmaster slash Bailey learned how to do every circus trick. He learned how to juggle. He learned how to unicycle. He walked on stilts. He did all of it, and I was the one person in the ensemble whose legs were the same length as his, so I got to wear the stilts at the end of the show because I fit into the pants. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I had we had this big storage box for our grand piano that sat. Uh, in the stage left wing Mm -hmm. and so I had to like get on a chair and then climb on top of this box it was like six feet tall and then I had to dangle my legs over and have someone strap me in in the dark and then pull these long black pants up and then I had to cross to the other side of the stage down this like backstage corridor Uh, now the stage itself has a lot of headroom that backstage corridor does not (laughs) and I'm five nine (laughs) And those stilts were three feet tall, so I had to walk on stilts and like crouch and right. like, <laughs> try not to hit the fluorescent lights oh, as I'm geez. running to get to my entrance. <laughs> it was yeah, and then I had to cross all the way across the stage again to get the stilts off. It was so anyway. I just feel for the actor playing Carl has to wear the giant stilts, <laughs> okay? Because well, they're such a pain. All right. Well, <laughs> returning from that tangent. Anyway, <laughs> coming back from that tangent. Uh, Calloway uh. is talking to uh, Edward because Edward is, you know, I think he mentioned something like it's after he's seen Sandra for the first time and he wants to go like try to find her. Mm-hmm. And Calloway says, let me guess, you were the hero of Hickville, a big fish in a small pond. Well, this here's the ocean and you're drowning. Yeah. And so I was like, ah, hey, they said that they said the name of the show and the thing. That like wink nudge moment. Yeah, wink yeah. nudge moment. And it's kind of fun. I don't think a lot of not every musical has that. But it fits particularly well in this show anyway, at least I felt. Yeah. As I'm talking about the story, let's kind of do a little bit of a character breakdown, too, because I feel like I need to. Sure. The main characters of the story are Edward and Will. Mm-hmm. I really like Edward as a character, uh, but, you know, he has a, his penchant for telling stories and embellishing is like potentially could lead you to think that he could be a pathological liar i don't necessarily know if that's accurate like i don't know if i'd say i don't know if i would say he's a liar 
but he definitely likes to likes to tell stories and and, and he likes to embellish a lot mm. doesn't necessarily mean that he's lying about it because like every story he tells has some truth to it or at least an element of truth to it he just makes it more fantastical and i think it's because his life and you kind of learn this more more so in the movie than the musical that his life really was kind of mundane and boring but he traveled around a lot so when he would come home and mm. see his son the times that he would he would tell him these fantastical stories to make him think he had this you know incredible amazing life which really wasn't the case yeah the look on your face says you want to say something what do you want to say Shabon? I'm well I I don't like Edward as a character uh I think that's one of the big flaws in the the show for me or like the storytelling Mm -hmm. for me um is that even with the most charming actor I don't I don't think I could ever find him redeemable and I mean I think Norbert Leo Butts is amazing Mm -hmm. I am a fan of Butts (laughs) Norbert Leo Butts Butts in general though right continue who doesn't like a good butt anyway um i do think he's really he's really charming he's a great performer but i don't think edward is a redeemable character and um i think we can talk more about that in a little while all right sure i do think will at least adult will Mm -hmm. plays more of the straight man and has a lot of resentment you know towards his dad Mm -hmm. uh but i do i actually wrote this down i do feel like that their relationship for me is like has a really beautiful arc like how it how we see it and how it ends i think is a great arc okay because and like i know you said that you feel like edward as a character is irredeemable but for me it's like that father-son relationship is like yeah he sees these kind of things that see how can i put it the way i think with will it's like yeah he doesn't really particularly like his dad is kind of with the impression that i get at least at the beginning of the show or like he it's like he loves him but doesn't really like him that much and does, can't really relate to him you know but at the end of the show when you know spoilers edward dies from cancer it's just like i don't know i think it's a very touching moment what hap- what transpires between them at the end of the show specifically but i think that's how you're supposed to feel mm-hmm. and i just I, okay, I guess we'll talk about it now. Uh, I feel so bad saying this because I know this is important to you as like you love the show and you mm-hmm. love this film. But so I watched the film first. Mm-hmm. And when it ended, I turned to my husband and I said, so what's the moral of this story? Like, forgive your dad for being a narcissist. He just wanted you to like him. <laughs> and then there, I think there's a line in the musical, something about he wanted to inspire you. But did he actually inspire anyone without directly benefiting from it? Well, I mean, I suppose that's a good point. I don't really know. As I'm not, I didn't really perceive it as being that way. I felt like, I felt like he was generally a nice guy. He just, you know, made a lot of things up. I didn't. I don't perceive him as being a narcissist. He's like only caring about himself. I mean, he did benefit a lot. I don't know that he only cared about. I mean, mar- narcissist is a strong word. I don't think he only cared about himself, but he was very concerned with his public image or not just public, but how everyone perceived him. Mm-hmm. Even in you know the very beginning of the stage show where 
they're sitting on the bed or that, you know, it's, he's trying to read Will a bedtime story mm-hmm. and then Sandra walks in and says they need to go to bed. And then he starts to leave and then Will says, Oh, but what about the witch? And then he comes back and, you know, starts telling this fantastical story mm-hmm. because his own life wasn't good enough. Like there was nothing wrong with the life that he actually lived, but why did it need to be so embellished in order to be valuable is kind of what I, what I got out of it. Okay. I mean, and I think that's, that's that's not a question I feel like I can answer, right? No, that's okay. And and I think if at the end he had apologized for embellishing, you know, he's kind of like towing the line of just totally lying. And I, I think that's the perception that Will has is that mm-hmm. his dad lied about all of this stuff because there's not really proof that all of it happened. Right. You know, if he had apologized for the impact that he had, I think that would have been, that would make him redeemable. But right up to the very end, you know, it, it's all fantastical storytelling. Right. And then, you know, this idea of be the hero of your story. Mm-hmm. But he never gives Will the chance to be the hero. Like, even when he's dying, Will has to keep telling stories about how great Edward was. So now Edward's this immortal hero. Hmm. Well, I think I wouldn't say that I disagree with that. But, you know, the I think that the I want to talk about the songs kind of later on like after we kind of talk about this but sure um the songs start over i feel like it kind of introduces will to a side of his dad he didn't know mm. because that's a story that is like it's a true story that his dad never told him mm-hmm. because of different things that transpired and yeah i get that in that particular story as well that he is concerned with how his how he's perceived right yeah. But you know, I mean, and you see at the end too, like when they do the kind of funeral scene that all the all these people show up, it's not just like no one's there, right? Right. So that that to me kind of infers that he was a good guy and he did do a lot of good even if he didn't always tell the perfect or exact truth. Yeah. I think that's fair to say that you know he did lots of good things, but mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that was just in service of his own image. Which, like, I don't know if you're doing good, you're doing good, right? Right. Good is good, regardless yeah. of motivation. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that Edward is not a particularly humble individual, right? Yeah. The good the good <laughs> things he's done, he, I mean, like, obviously the good things he's done, he talks about. And he's proud of the things that he's done. And the bad things he's done, he's not particularly proud of and doesn't talk about those things. Mm-hmm. But I, that, it, that, again, does not necessarily make him, an, I don't think it makes him an irredeemable character. I just don't think we're supposed to like him if we get to see all of those things and know that, you know, the fact that he doesn't acknowledge them, to me, comes off as he's, he doesn't regret them. Or, you know, maybe it does. I don't know. I, I just don't, because we don't get the apology at the end, mm-hmm. I just don't think, I think they could have easily vilified him at the end, and I think I would have liked the story a little more. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but I just think, without Edward actually apologizing, Will does forgive him in a kind of a roundabout way. It's not as explicitly said. Oh yeah. I think I think you're right. Absolutely. Right. But again, then because because Will forgives him, we're just supposed to like him. Uh, I guess. I mean he's he is a charming kind of like I mean, I'd hang out with the guy, right? If he was a real person, I'd hang out with him. He seems like a he seems like a pretty cool guy. Oh. But I'd hate him. I think you probably would, yeah. But you hate everything I'm, that's fun. I'm the Don Price of this story. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That makes perfect sense to me, and I, I'm here for it. 
And uh, he is such a minor character. Well, he actually has a bigger role, I think, in the musical than he actually does in the movie. Because, like, in the movie, I mean, Don serves the same purpose, but I know in the movie, Don dies young. And he has, like, a heart attack and dies young. Mm-hmm. But that's not yeah. that's not what happens to him in the musical. Right. Well, there's some, yeah, character condensing mm-hmm. per stage, which the the changes they made for the stage i think were great the, the, you know the the fact that they delve into the character relationships more mm-hmm. they kind of combined a couple of characters and simplified all the elements of the story mm-hmm. to make it a little easier to follow i think all those choices they made were great i so again like i don't have a problem with the musical i think the source material is flawed so there wasn't really a way sure. around that okay all right um what is your opinion on how do you feel about sandra the mom like what's her like? What what is that character like for you? Her songs are nice. I'll <laughs> sing them. Uh, <laughs> she is just so uh, like typical, boring leading lady. I don't understand her, and I I think that's because I don't understand anyone in this show really. What is really likable about Edward Bloom to anyone? I don't know. I just I mean I like the guy and I He stalked you for 3 years and then brought you a lot of flowers? Like He he didn't No, he didn't he didn't stalk her for 3 years. A little bit though. He would have. Look, uh, if he, he knew probably, where to find her. That's probably true. <laughs> and that's the thing is like I mean and that that is something that I have thought about and I'm like that's kind of weird and she just kind of like and she's she's engaged to somebody else and then she in the musical she turns on a dime. And then she's like, like, oh, you hit him, and I like him better than I like you, so get out of here. And there's, there's a, co- a couple different instances of things like that in the musical that I'm like, I don't particularly like that this just happened. But I get they have to, they have to kind of keep it moving, and there's less time in a musical to explain a lot of things. Yeah, and, you know, musical theater is heightened reality, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. okay with her turning on a dime. But, like, the only reason it's not a horror film is because there's romantic underscoring. You can change the underscoring in that scene, and it's suddenly very creepy. <laughs> you know, I can I can understand that, and that's. But after you have said that, this is going to make what I'm about to say sound stupid. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine, but uh, I think the perception of Sandra is that. She's really the thing that kind of holds the family together because with the animosity between Will and his dad, mm-hmm. she's the one that's kind of in the middle being like, it's like, yeah, she's, she kind of, she understands Edward in a way that Will doesn't because she's been with him longer. Right. But, mm-hmm. and she, and, but I don't think she necessarily kind of like, I mean, I guess it could be perceived in the way that she kind of like Edward will start telling a story and she goes like, oh, well, that's just Edward, you know? And she, it's kind of how it's kind of played that way or it can be kind of played that way. But, I think she actually enjoys the stories that he tells to an extent. And I feel like my perception of the, of the, of the different productions I've seen is that Edward really does love her more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's, that's really a question here. And I feel like and me personally, that the Edward and Sandra story is my favorite love story in any musical I've seen as kind of weird and probably dumb to you as this sounds. Wow, I don't see. I shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> this is our entire friendship. That's kind of true. Tell it's, me more. So, I don't particularly care for the fact that he like. I mean, going. I kind of go back to music again here for a second, but I feel like "Time Stops" is slept on as like a really good musical love song. Like, I think it's better than a lot of people give it credit for, because it's just like 
that moment of like you know love at first sight type of perception because like he sees her and then she kind of notices him and then she leaves and then he spends all this time just trying to get little bits of information about her and you know Callaway's not not really giving it to him over the course of like three years right he's working at this circus getting little little bits of information over the course of you know this long period of time Mm. until he finally learns what he needs to to go find her like find like where she's at in her name and then he goes and finds her and it's it is weird that he's immediately like hey i'm in love with you marry me like and the and like they barely know each other right it's okay we can just frame it as being romantic and i'm not saying that in a sarcastic way i mean it's right. it's meant to be romantic so it like, is let's look yeah it, that it is it is and i actually have this quote here as well and i for me i was like couple i have a couple different uh thoughts on this particular exchange you know he's singing he's singing the song daffodils to her because the, one of the things he obviously her learns is that she loves daffodils and it's a big visual component of the production in a couple different parts mm-hmm. and he says that in the middle of that song please marry me and she says but you hardly know me and he says i have the rest of my life to find out which one i'm like that's pretty smooth AF right there. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I thought that was a really smooth line. But also, not really a reason. <laughs> right? Like, I think it's... I just was like... I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, that's smooth. But also, yeah, it's... I don't necessarily think that's of... I mean, get to know her a little bit first, dude. Like, <laughs> she doesn't know you, like, hardly at all. So, I, I get it. Yeah. And I get it, and it, and it, as, like you said, it is intended to be framed in a romantic way, and I think it is more or less successful. But I think I've always, I've always thought that line was really fun. I guess I don't think I would use it. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> well, and see, this is the question I was about to ask you: Is do you, and I mean this in a totally non-judgmental way, having already said all these terrible things about Edward Bloom as a character, do you like him as a character because you relate to him? I think to an extent, yeah. Yeah? Can you talk about that? Oh, I think because, uh, I mean, you know you know me uh, as far as, like, I've been an actor. I've been in theater, doing theater for a long time. And so I've been a part of that whole telling stories thing. I don't necessarily think that I, that I embellish that much or as much as he does. But he's, you know kind of a pretty straight-laced guy he's a charming guy things i like kind of think of myself as but i think it is with no doubt in my mind that the things that he loves more in this world are his wife and his son and i can relate to him on that level in particular because being a father of two sons you know it just it really a lot of the moments in the show like really get me like i remember telling you when i was watching this that i was like i'm literally snotting out of my face like because I was crying so hard and it's just like this I don't know I just I guess it's kind of hard for me to hard for me for me to explain but the parts that always got me were daffodils because of his relationship with his wife and how it ends is the also the one that made me like how it ends made me like cry really hard and in one particular production I saw, I cried even more because they had an, I had a really small child come out, like a child that's probably around my, my younger son's age, came out on stage. And I just like, I lost it even more. Aww. Even though the production wasn't, wasn't like the, wasn't the best 
production I've seen, that one little element, I think because I can relate to that, just really struck me. And that's why, you know, I think that's why this, like that character in the show really resonates with me because of my own personal life. Mm. Yeah, that tracks for me. As I was, you know, watching it and trying to absorb the story, especially after I'd watched the film and was watching the musical, the only thing going through my head was, I, I don't get it. Like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. And why does Brantley like this? <laughs> and then it must be like a, like a personal connection to it. That's Yeah, well, that's definitely it. Yeah, I think it's just the personal connection that I have with with the show, mm. you know. That's fair. But anyway, I will say there's one more thing I had about uh, a characters uh, in the show. Sure. I think Calloway is a really fun character. Mm-hmm. And I think he gets enough stage time. Like, he doesn't need to be in any more than he already is. Uh-huh. But I think if you have a really good Calloway, he could probably steal the show a little bit. Yes, Stay tuned for our dream casting discussion at the end, because I have thoughts. Okay, great. Great. Is it Hugh Jackman? <laughs> Never. Oh, God. Hugh Jackman is going to be your dream cast that makes me vomit, isn't it? No. Uh, no. Maybe. Hugh Jackman and Ben Platt on alternating performances. Just every production. Ugh. Every every show we talk about fan casting, I'm always going to put them in it, <laughs> just to make you mad. Sophia and Carissa Sandra. <laughs> mm-hmm. What else you got? Okay, so let's talk about the music. Okay. Kind of like how we did with Company. I don't want to talk about every song on the show because I don't think every song on the show necessarily we need to talk about. Sure. I think I will just say kind of briefly about the opening number. Be the hero is the name of that song. Mm-hmm. is the opening number i think it's fine I, do, I think as far as opening numbers go it does a pretty decent job of introducing you to these different characters mm-hmm. but i don't it's not my favorite i think it's okay i mean i think musically and lyrically it's it's great you know because like you know, like you said lyrically it, it drives the kind of drives the plot and i don't know about like the orchestral arrangement i don't know how if you have any specific thoughts about that i honestly the songs that i think aren't like incredible are sort of forced because I mean and I I wish I had read the book because I wonder if I would feel differently about this if I had read the book and had probably a little more character context but the the musical is kind of tied to certain beats that occur in the film Mm -hmm. just because that's the nature of musical theater and adaptations right so there are yeah there are a couple of things that I feel like they had to hit in the musical because they're such big parts of the film. Mm -hmm. But in general, I think with the material they had to work with, Andrew Lippa knocked it out of the park. Like I think every musical style that occurs in the show serves a very specific purpose. And honestly, if you're ever feeling extra like music theory nerdy, go watch that video that he made (laughs) that talks through the score because there were things he talked about as far as motifs that go through the show. Like there's sixths, like the interval sixths Mm -hmm. uh, throughout in uh, it's in Time Stops and it's in Stranger and it's in a bunch of different places. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, like, yeah, that's why all of these songs, even though they have slightly different genres and some of them are more southern than musical theater Mm -hmm. they're all kind of tied together and that's just one of those really smart musical theater things that he just he does so well right 
I mean, and I do like so to say this about the music. I do think the majority of it kind of follows in that kind of American folk music type of umbrella, which fits the motif of the story. I think. And honestly, I think that only comes from orchestrations because melodically and just the structure of the songs, most of them are very contemporary musical theater. Yeah. That's what I meant. Like, then, or, you know, if you put a, a banjo in it, it's going to sound Southern. <laughs> right. True. But the the way, like the rhythm and the melody and the way all those things work together is very musical theater. And I'm right. cool with that. Well, considering it is musical theater, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, you know, I didn't talk about the witch, but I don't really remember. The witch is we an interesting character because the witch really like kind of sets this whole thing in motion. Because she, the song is about her showing Edward how he's going to die, right? Mm-hmm. And having watched the show, I'll kind of, I'll kind of backtracking a little bit. Sure. And I think it's kind of implied that Edward doesn't actually know how he's going to die. He just tells his son that. And though at the end, when Will is telling the story with with what's next, right? He's telling the story of like, okay, this. So we're gonna go do this, and then you're. This is how how it's going to happen. And I think it's a really nice moment, too. It's like, because I feel like, you know, Will is a pretty stuck up character, doesn't really like his dad and thinks him that all these stories are pretty stupid. You know, his dad like lives for this. Mm. I feel like Edward's just trying to get his son to, I don't know. I don't know if it's like see or like maybe try to understand him more in a way by, I'll say, forcing him to kind of tell his tell a story on his of his own, if that makes sense. Mm. Okay. Anyway, I mean, I think the witch, the witch song and the all that is fine. I think it's a it's a good belty song. Yeah, there's some great like high voice musical theater songs in here that mm-hmm. I'd be down to sing any of them anytime. If so, <laughs> well, I think if someone were to like like if a, a student wanted to pull that for a audition song, I'd be like, I think it'd be a decent one, mm. you know. Or he wanted to try to do it as a duet, maybe because. There are songs here that are like kind of pseudo duets where it's mostly this one character singing and then the other character jumps in a little bit. Mm, yeah. There's a couple of those where they're not real duets. I would mm. say like that one is a little bit and Time Stops is like that as well. It's kind of a pseudo duet. It's not really a duet because Edward sings for like, I'd say 80% of it. And then she comes in then Sandra comes in at the end of it. Mm, yeah. So Or like middle end. I think the witch is an interesting character. I kind and I understand like she doesn't need to be in the rest of it because she serves her purpose and then she's gone. It's a, it's, I think it's a good one-off character and a good one-off song because like it's like I said, it comes in, it serves its purpose, and then we move on. How come Jenny Hill's not the witch on stage? That's a good point. You could definitely double cast that because the witch only shows up. Yeah, well, and I think that's a really interesting point they make in the film. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, because it's Helena Bonham Carter in the in the movie. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I think you could definitely double cast that, and it would be fine. But I know at like at like the funeral scene, they had it to where the witch and Jenny both show up, or like Edward's death scene, they both show up. But but I think it's important that they are the same person, not just that it's the same char- the same actor playing both characters. Yeah, that's a different interpretation for sure. Because isn't that what the film's going for? I don't know. I don't know if I would, if I've ever interpreted that was that they're the same person. I think she says that. It's obviously the same actor playing both parts. I think she says that. Does she I say think, that so about I her being a witch? I think he says something. Ab- I think he references something about a witch, and and then she makes a comment about how like the storytelling, like it, uh, it, the moment was made out to be more than it was in reality. Oh, okay. 
right after the witch song is Stranger, and Stranger's a really good, like, tenor belty song. That's probably my favorite song in the show. And I mean, it's really good. So, um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely get behind that. It's it's a really good song and really introduces, mm. I think it introduces the audience to Will's, like, the tension that he and his father share, kind of, or, like, kind of see more into, like, why he feels the way he does. Right. Which, I mean, every, I feel like, to an extent, every good musical theater song should be telling you something. Which is, a, I think, a lot of issues with, like, jukebox musicals. is like, it's a song already written for something that's kind of shoehorned in, or can be shoehorned in, mm. um, to try to serve, you know, try to tell a story, but without actually fitting into the story. I think Stranger is the closest to a I Want song in this show. I guess you could argue Be the Hero would be Edward's I Want song, but... The fact that Stranger is relatively early in the show mm-hmm. makes me inclined to think that Will is the protagonist, even though Edward is the lead. Okay. Like, we as the audience are kind of meant to view the story through Will's eyes, but the story is about Edward. Okay. Yeah. I could probably get behind that and would agree, because I wouldn't say there's a real true antagonist either, because, like, Edward and Will are kind of antagonists to one another. Mm. where the conflict lies is between Edward and Will, right? Well, and I think you could argue that Edward's an anti-hero. Yeah, sure. The conflict is within himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, we could, go, we could go with that. I don't particularly like Little Lamb from Alabama, just in general. I think it's a fun, it's a fun nod to that kind of, I think, kind of 40s, 50s style of song. I think it's really fun in that, in that way. And I really like the harmony in it, but mm. I'm not like... Yeah. I'm not like jonesing to hear that song ever. Does it not get stuck in your head though? Uh, no, that one doesn't. Really, honestly, all I've had stuck in my head is "Stranger" and just the 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 chorus part where he's like "Stranger." That's the only part. Just that over <laughs> and over again, and then the <laughs> "Little Lamb from Alabama." Just the melody of that goes through my head <laughs> constantly for the well for the last two days. Like the flam, but <laughs> flam. I'm a little lamb from Alabama. That whole thing. Yes, and listening to Andrew Lippa talk about it was just incredible. <laughs> Okay, but like you know, so and I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate this because I said it before. I'm gonna say it again. I think "Time Stops" is slept on as one of the as a great musical theater love song. I think it's really really good. Define great. It makes me feel things, Emily. <laughs> That's what I want from a great song to do. Well, but why does it make you feel things? <sighs> oh, this is you and your wife, isn't it? It reminds me of my wife, yes. You just saw your wife across the room and you instantly fell in love with her and then you sold yourself to the circus for three years to find her at college. I mean, it's basically my life story. I know, that's not what happened. <laughs> it does, to like, to an extent, remind me of my relationship with my wife. It's not, like, that's obviously not what happened and you know that. Like, you know our story. Uh, so, yeah. that's not what happened with us. But just the... <laughs> Um, I'm tr- let me let me hold on. Let me pull up the lyrics for that real quick. Okay. I mean, musical theater songs, you know, tell a story. I think this song has a really good verbalization of love at first sight. Okay. So and like and I know in the movie it's very literal. Like he sees her across the room and like those flowers are falling and they stop and he's like walking. He's looking at her, walking towards her and like pushing flowers out of the way as he's walking towards her. In the movie, you know, like everything, like, he sees her and then just everything stops you know right and that's visually represented in the movie but in the musical like he walks in and sees her 
and then the music starts and the lyrics are time stops when suddenly you see her time stops and what you thought you knew changes and life beyond this moment is better bigger time stops but still your heart is beating time stops though you don't take a breath she's there and all you ever wanted is nearer clearer i think it's a really good verbal representation of that i don't know if there's any more of the of the lyrics i want to talk about for this particular song but like i don't know it's just it speaks to me i think it's for me it's a little bit different than other for it's different for me for other love songs that i've heard in musicals and like honestly other ones are escaping me at the moment like i can't think of any other ones <laughs> i know there are plenty but like yeah like like what as an example is a a musical theater love song like off the top of your head uh the song the, honestly that this reminds me the most of musically mm-hmm. is uh as long as you're mine from wicked norby butts was also in that show right i know ironically but it doesn't have anything to do with that i i don't think i think it's no just that's just coincidence and just the yeah musical structure like the tone mm-hmm. although i guess no yeah that's what i want to say okay okay I think some of the emotional drive, like the lyrics I don't really connect with. I don't think they're bad. I I don't know. I'm not a visual person. It's not that I don't believe in love at first sight. I just don't think I ever would have fallen in love at first sight. Mm-hmm. And like, did I think my husband was cute when I first met him? Yes. But like, I that wasn't love. <laughs> this reminds me a little bit too. Like, I always call it like, it was a trope in a lot of movies to have like, especially like romantic comedies and stuff to like, they see each other across the room and like they play dream weaver and then like everything slows down. Yeah. Right. And I've, I mean, yeah. I've admitted this public, like, you know, to other people, but like I've had, I've had dream at least one dream weaver, dream weaver moment before it was not with my wife and she's aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I mean, I do believe in it, but like not, I'm not going to put, all my stock into it right yeah i'm not gonna put everything into that but like i I do believe that it does happen and because like i can even speak from this experience both of my grandparents my parents parents met on blind dates and got married within a year and like had these families both of them both sets well a year is reasonable i think right we'll get we'll get to that yeah but like and like I said, it's probably an embellishment, right? Because he does that. Edward does that. Sure. But I don't know. I believe that it can happen. It's not necessarily like, I don't think it necessarily works out for everyone. But I'm sure there's plenty of couples that has. Well, and I don't even think you need to put the qualification that it, it like has to work out. Like, I don't think you marry every person that you love. That's also true. But um, I can't think of another song that's... I mean, this song is definitely like, it's like a low at first sight, but it's, and it's clearly for me defined as this is love at first sight, not lust at first sight, right? Yes. It's very clearly defined. I think that's very clearly defined. And I think that's another reason why I really like it is because it's not like I want to get with her. It's like, I'm going to do everything I can to be with this person. And he just all he does is see her across the room and knows nothing else about her. I don't know that there are a lot of musical theater moments that are lust driven, though. 
Not in that way. I mean, I don't know Passions. I have no idea. I don't know if that's a show like that or not. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to Passions someday. Great. Anyway, let's get back to talking about this musical that I love and you hate for some reason. All right. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. No, no, I don't hate it. <laughs> I know. I'm, a, I'm aware. I'm a, I, I, have, I have gathered that. Um, anyway. <laughs> But that's like, I think, you know, because in the song Time Stops, it really kicks off like this little first sight thing and kicks off this love story between Edward and Sandra. And I think for me, that's why I think this is like Slept On is a really good love song. And also like why this story is one of my favorite love songs, because it's basically like they get together and they stay together for like ever. There's not a lot of conflicts between the two of them. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah, I guess like she doesn't really do a lot in the show other than other than being like the glue of that family that holds it together. Right. But going from that and moving on to, you know, and closer to her, you know, he's learning more information about her mm-hmm. until finally finds out where she is. He goes and sees her and then he brings her daffodils because, you know, that she that's her favorite flower and you know has the conflict with her already being engaged to this guy to, to Don Price of all people um and they have that conflict there and then she leaves Don and then he's trying in the song Daffodils he's trying to convince her it's like was like we're it's like we're destined to be together and here's why and she believes him and goes along with it for the most part yeah and i just like i think that for me is just like it's a really touching moment of the show <laughs> Um, that he's a, it's an expression for me of like, he will give his like, no matter what, I'm going to give you everything that's, that I have, that's me, everything that I have, that everything that I'm, that I am and that I have is going, is for you, everything. And that's the impression I get from that song. And I think that's why for me it stands up for me as being a really it's like one of the greatest love stories in a in musical theater is for that reason and it's pretty short because like you know as they get when they're older they're still together and they have all these things and they have a child together and all these different things and you can tell that he still loves her when he's older um, because there's the there's the scene where young will is talking to his mother it's before fight the dragons uh where young will is talking to his mother and then Edward shows back up and then like basically starts like hitting on hitting on his mom in front of him. And she's like, hey, there's a small child here. Get away. Mm-hmm. You know, type of a thing. So it's a yeah. it's a very it's and then yeah. it's still a very like loving, flirtatious relationship, even when they start getting older. And so I think even though it, there's not a like a lot of elements to it that we get to see as the audience, I think it's enough for, for me to form my opinion on the way that I have. <laughs> Yeah. No, I would agree. I I mean, I, I agree with your logic. Okay. It's not my favorite love story in musical theater, but yeah. like I get why it's appealing. Yeah. And I, I think Daffodils works exactly the way it's supposed to and Time Stops works exactly the way it's supposed to. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have anything bad to say about it. it. I just didn't connect with it as much as you do. Right. Which is fine. Right. I want to talk about now my, my favorite song in the show, which is Fight the Dragons. And... I had heard this song before I ever saw anything to do with the show. I had like I had formed when I was listening to it, I had formed in my head 
what the song is about, who he's singing to, when, and all this type of different things. And I will admit, having watched a couple different productions of it, that it's written and staged differently than I thought. It's still my favorite song on the show. I will sing the crap out of it. Every time I sing it, it makes me cry. Every single time I do, it just does. Because I am squishy and I have a son and it makes me think of him. Uh, But like I sang, I sang that song at like an open mic and I did not get through it. So there's that. But anyway, um, (laughs) in my, in my notes, I do wrote, I wrote that how it is traditionally staged is not how I pictured it in my head because in the, in the stage production, like he comes home, like before the song, young Will is talking to his mom and then he shows up and he starts talking to him and. And then it kind of just goes into the song, you know, like oh, how musical theater, musical theaters. But I, in my head, always pictured this song with like Edward just found out that either just found out Sandra's pregnant or Will is still a little bitty baby. That's how I've always pictured it in my head. Okay. And so when, as he's singing the song, it's more introspective because like when he's, he's singing it like. You know, I've never been a man who lived an office life. I've never been a man behind the desk. I've always been a man who said that staying still is playing dead. The kind who's looking forward to the challenges ahead. Like, he always needs to be moving and constantly doing something. And he says, I'm my best when not at rest. But that changes for him when Will is born, is how I perceive it. Like, so he is like, in my head, I stage this as like, Edward's kind of on stage by himself. And maybe Edward's, or Will is like in a little bassinet on stage like he's a baby a baby bitty baby he's not a young boy he's a mm-hmm. tiny baby okay and so he's singing more to himself than he is to will and so when the when the lyric comes of uh and when i'm old and tired you'll do the job required you'll be there telling stories to your son that gets me every single time i perceive the song as being like basically i am here on this earth to do my best until you can take care of yourself or you can finish what I started or kind of how I perceive it in that, in that, in that sense. Or like, it's like, like kind of like leaving a legacy, right? Um, I don't feel like I'm expressing this in the way that I'm really like how I really emotionally feel about this song. I'm having a hard time mm. verbalizing. I do understand what you're saying. I actually, I was going to save this for later, but I think now is the time to read what I wrote in my notes. Okay. Uh, I, You know, I have notes about what's great about the show, what's not great about it. And then my big question is, why do you love the show? And is this podcast turning into a season-long discussion of parenthood? LOL. <laughs> uh, yes to both. Because it kind of is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just happens to like, hey, you picked company at the last second, so don't. Don't bl- don't blame me there. It wasn't the last last second, but and company's not about parenthood at it's all. It's about marriage. We just had happened to have a long discussion about True. it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it just made me laugh. I'm not a parent, so I don't feel like I'm really qualified to talk about it. Right, and that's fair. I can talk. A, I can talk to your like just at your face all about it. All, about it all I want to. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I just like that. I don't think the song is really any less impactful for me now. It's just not what I imagined. Hmm. So it was just strange for me to see it done differently than I have, how I've dreamed it up in my head, right? Yeah. And the way that I have pictured it is not how it's written in the script. 
obviously. So uh, I wouldn't stage it the way that I have pictured in my head. And now I may do it that way if I were to just to perform the song as a standalone. I might perform it that way. Yeah. But in the context of the show, that does my my perception doesn't fit. And that's totally fine, you know. Right. Uh, but I just like that song just means a lot to me. It's has meant a lot to me. It is in my repertoire. It is a staple for me to sing that song. It's one of the few musical theater songs I have 100% completely memorized and in the pocket ready to go at any point in time. <laughs> Someone says we need you to audition for something like that's going to be a song you pull out. Yeah, pretty much. Let's jump down to I Don't Need a Roof. That's another big emotional song for me. It doesn't hit me in the same way mm-hmm. because it's from it's it's Sandra's song. But having heard it as many times as I have now and seeing it performed a couple of times, it's one of the songs like it's a it's like a for me, it was a, a beautiful and also very tragic song because at this point in the show, she knows Edward's dying and you know I think he just went through a fit of whatever his cancer whatever it is that's killing him of has really affected him Mm -hmm. she's just sitting on the floor he's laying on her lap and she sings this song it's kind of uplifting but it's still really sad (laughs) essentially saying that yeah like I don't need anything when I'm with you you're everything to me and I love you and I and I don't want you to go like, I don't know what I'm going to do without you is yeah. is what that song is about. And so both times I've seen it performed, it was done beautifully. You know, they were both amateurs. That one did get me at least once. It doesn't always just because, I mean, I'm gooey on the inside. I'm like a crab. <laughs> I'm hard on the outside and very squishy on the inside. So I want that on a poster. <laughs> I'm like a crab. Yeah. But anyway, it's just... Gooey on the inside. <laughs> like a crap. This, this show just gets me, man. It just does. And like... Yeah. I don't know. I have a question for you about that song, actually. Okay. I can't remember. Is that a beat in the film? I don't think so. Okay. I don't remember it being one. If it is, it's like spoken dialogue. It's not... Well, obviously, because the movie's not a musical. Right. N- just because... Uh, the other songs with very explicit metaphors like Time Stops and Daffodils mm-hmm. are beats pulled directly from the film. Mm-hmm. And I know Fight the Dragons is not a beat in the film. Correct. But I Don't Need a Roof feels like a specific metaphor mm-hmm. in a way that the other, like Stranger, doesn't feel like a, a, a very specific metaphor. Mm-hmm. And so that's not really a statement on its success. Right. Okay. Well, I don't I don't believe that it is. Um I was I was gonna say that I think one of the reasons why this song really gets to me too is that I have had a lot of tragedy in my life, a lot of uh, mm. a lot of my very beloved family members have passed away. Some of them within I think I lost like four of my family members within five years, like a pretty that's pretty quick succession. Um, and like you know it doesn't ever get any better, right? When you lose someone, you just have to move on. There's no uh, you know, if you dwell on it, it usually doesn't bode well for you, at least in my experience. Mm. Uh, but I think it's one of the reasons why this song also resonates with me, too, because she's in Sandra's in that place where it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And there's nothing I can do. Yeah. She knows he's going to die and she can't do anything about it. You know, 
she's just trying to hold right. on to like every moment and this is like this is like her lament song right i feel like the show has like has very like incredibly happy joyous moments and then some really tragic instances and this is one of them mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's some of the appeal Mm-hmm. of this show is that the emotional journey if if you get on board mm-hmm. with the story and you let it take you there it's got some really big emotional beats yeah yeah definitely which leads me to the next song i want to talk about how it ends like i said i was like just sitting by myself in my office just snotting all over the place watching this song <laughs> watching this watching this number <laughs> be performed and it just it hit me so hard um, in a way I didn't expect the first time, there's a little line that Edward says just before he sings this song. So at this point, you know, Will has told his dad the story of like, okay, well, like, this is how, this is how it's going to end. This is what's going to happen. Like leading up to the point where you're about to die. Edward is kind of, he's standing there, you know, cause like the way that Will describes it is they get out of the hospital and they go down to the, to the edge of the river and everyone that Edward's ever known is there like cheering him on waiting for them you know to get there and mm-hmm. it's done really well in the movie and this is almost ripped completely out of like from that it's almost the ex- almost the exact same sequence mm-hmm. but all these people that you know that Edward's known and met and loved throughout his life they're all there and he takes a beat and says well I can't say that this was a surprise exactly but I thank you all for coming a man is as rich as his friends, and I am a tycoon. And I just think that's a really kind of beautiful sentiment in the sense that, like, you know, I wasn't the richest man in the world. Because, like, you know, earlier in the show, Will makes a comment to Sandra about money, mm-hmm. right? He's like, well, do you have enough money? And then do you have enough money? And she's like, well, you have plenty of money, you know? Which, you know, they're not wealthy or well-off, maybe not even well-off, but they have enough to get by, right? Because Edward's mm-hmm. Edward's thing wasn't all, wasn't about money he loved the stories that was like you know his that's his whole thing and just like you're thinking about that sentiment it was like you know he's one of those people that's probably never met a stranger in his life you know mm-hmm. and he counted his his happiness his wealth of his life in the friends he made along the journey that he took and that was his life you know that hit me really that hit me pretty pretty good too when he said that because i don't want to be morbid and say i think about death a lot <laughs> but i do think about it quite a bit in the sense that like you know I've had a lot of family that has passed away too young and I have kids of my own and you know like you know the legacy that I'm going to leave for them when I'm gone and mm. just thinking about that again you know this show just resonates with me in a, in a lot of different ways but this is one of them when he's getting ready to like you know he's right there he's you know about to step through the step over the threshold you know whatever you call it and um, mm. might get emotional here again. Here we go. But I'm going to read some of the lyrics from the song, How It Ends. Okay. He sings a couple of verses, I think, or at least he sings one verse. And then he says, I know exactly how this ends. It ends with you. It ends with me. It ends the way a story's ending is supposed to be. A bit insane, a touch of pain, a deeply told yet uncontrolled. It ends with faith. It ends with love. It ends with water in the river and the sun above. Part epic tale. Part fire sail. But all sincere and standing here. I know I wasn't perfect. I know my life was small. 
I know that I pretended that I knew it all. But when you tell my story, and I hope somebody does, remember me as something bigger than I was. And I just think it's a beautiful sentiment to think like wanting to be remembered for the good things you've done in your life versus like all the terrible crap you did, right? You know, you want to be, I just think, I don't know, freaking Andrew Lippa, man. I just think he gets it. I feel like he gets it too. And I just, that's why I like, I find that song is just, it's a really beautiful song. I think I I just say, I think that it is. And the, there are other songs about death and musical theater, but I think this is more of a happier one. It's not, I don't think this is a, a particularly sad song. Um, Cause like, you know, Ed, Edward's dying. He knows it. And he knows that like, He's like, after I sing this song, I'm going to die. Pretty much is what he is, what the implication is, um, at least to the audience. Right. And so he sings this song and it's just, I don't know how I would particularly stage this show or stage this song in particular. I feel like this would be a hard one to get wrong. <laughs> right. Just because like. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It's decently straightforward. I don't know if it's a hundred percent straightforward. But I don't think this is a very surface level song. I think it's a lot deeper than that. Yeah, agreed. And uh, no, it gets me. Because like I said, I was sitting here watching this number and just like, you know, I'm I'm a strong manly man. So I just was streaming tears and silence and sniffling. <laughs> uh, but just thinking about, you know, the people that I've lost in my life and the legacy that they left behind. And the legacy I'm going to leave behind with my sons, right? Like, I don't know. I hope, you know, they remember me as, remember me as being a loving father and loving husband, doting husband, you know, whatever you want to say. But I, told, I hope that's how they remember me. I don't necessarily feel the need to embellish my life stories like Edward did. Um, and mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, I know this is a, a line from the uh, or a, a scene in the movie that's not in the musical where Sandra is talking to Will about the day he was born and it's like yeah your dad wasn't there because he was working mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like well he probably felt really guilty about that so he would always you know try to make his life seem like it was more fantastical than it really was to try to make up for the times that he knew he wasn't going to be able to be there and I don't necessarily feel that in my own life like I don't feel that I have to do that or the need to do that but I just I mean I I get it in a way I guess like I get it yeah anyway I don't want to say what I'm thinking because I feel like you've made some good points and I'm about to stomp all over your feelings and I don't want to do no, that no it's fine go for it grind me into the pavement Emily I'm not and I'm not grinding you into the pavement I think you respond to the show the way that the creators of the show want you to respond but the this whole idea of Edward embellishing his life to to me that comes out and I guess I don't know I guess I relate to Will for some reason that, that tracks <laughs> you know this idea of like I missed your birth because I had to work my dad missed my sister's birth because he was working nights and he left and my mom went into labor and he couldn't get back in time like it happens mm-hmm. I don't think there's an, anything wrong with that but if my dad had made up a story about robbing a bank or whatever fantastical thing, and th- then suddenly that becomes more important than Will. So that's the impression that I get is that 
Edward's telling all these stories to make it his life seem great, but in doing so, his life becomes more important. You know, his made up life becomes more important than his real life, and his son is right there. And I think that's why so many times in the musical, and I think in the film too, uh, I think Jenny Hill is the one who really says it a bunch is that, you know, he loved you. Like, he, you are the one thing that he really mm-hmm. loved. I think other characters have to say that because Edward never does. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I believe that he really did. And and I feel the same way with, about how it ends where this idea of like, remember me as bigger than I was like in your very last moments, that's your one wish is that everyone remembers all of the best parts of you and not that like, you don't want to tell your kids that you love them. You don't, I don't know. It's inherently selfish. I mean, I think there are certain aspects of parenthood that are just inherently selfish. You have to be a little selfish in order to want to produce a tiny human that looks like you and (laughs) is dependent on you and loves you unconditionally, right? Well, I mean, the unconditionally part remains to be seen, but continue. Well, that's the idea. Sure. Like something that you can love unconditionally and it will also love you back. And it. I keep saying it like it's a puppy, but... (laughs) I don't know. There's, there is something inherently selfish. Like there's a lot of selfless aspects of parenthood, but to me, and this is part of the reason I don't have children yet is because I feel like there are so many selfish parts of parenthood. Spoken like a true non-parent, which is, I know. I, what do I know? Do I get to talk about this? Probably not, but I mean, I'm going to let you talk about it. We'll let the comment section explode and see how wrong you are, but it's fine. I'll let you talk about it. And then it's just going to reinforce the idea that I'm not suited to be a parent. But I don't know. I, I Again, I feel like if you want something to love and it will love you unconditionally, I do have a dog. She meets that need for me. Right. If you want it to be a human baby, you could adopt a child that already exists in the world. Right. You know, or, or like you're, you know, making your own baby because you want it to look like you want it to look like you. I don't know. I don't really care what my baby looks like. We definitely don't need any more sassy Chavones in the world (laughs) if it's going to take on my personality. And then, you know, there's so many problems in the world. I'm going to bring a child into this world to have to deal with all the problems that my generation and the generations before me created. And we're getting on a long tangent about why I'm not a parent. But (laughs) I think I think a lot of the selfish things about parenthood are right front and center with Edward. And I think that's why I don't like him that much. Like even even in the the moments when you are supposed to find him the most likable and you're supposed to feel the most I understand what you're supposed to feel and I get that from the music and from the lyrics sometimes but I think the way he is written there's textual evidence that he's just not a good person. Yeah. Well, I just think that's your interpretation, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Being the hateful person that you are. I guess <laughs> it's not like my parents told fantastical stories and ruined my life. I don't really know why I feel this way. I don't either. Yeah. I just think maybe, maybe, maybe it's your cynicism rearing its ugly head. I guess. But to be fair, does it ever not do that? Sometimes I feel feelings and then I shove them down so fast. That, that tracks. <laughs> I've got all my feelings out with company. Right. No more feelings the rest of the season, Siobhan. But yeah, I think all the points you made are 100% accurate in the way that you're supposed to interpret the show. I just, <laughs> I didn't get there emotionally. That's okay. I mean, uh, and again, it just makes sense that you hate everything that I love. That 
it's just how our relationship is. I I do I feel really bad. I wanted to love it for you so badly. <laughs> I really did. But I do think this is payback for you not loving company and really breaking my heart on that. So Hey, I'll just tell you right now that my heart is not broken because I didn't expect you to like it. So it's the fact that you liked it just a little bit. I'm like, it's going in the wind column for me. <laughs> that does make me feel better. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. All right. So uh, before we finish up here, I would like to go over a couple of things uh, from the pr- from sure. the productions I've seen and what my from what I'm understanding is in the script. Some things that I would I would do differently, me personally. If I were to, oh, if I were to, okay. if I were to direct this show, here's a couple things that I would do a little bit differently. In both productions I watched during Be the Hero, when he when he talks about the witch and when he talks about the giant, mm-hmm. they both come on stage and he kind of interacts with them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would not do that personally. Tell me more. What I would do, I would probably have it set in a way that you see like their silhouette. So that they're not comp- they're not okay. they're not revealed right away. Like they don't just come on stage and be like, mm. "Hi, I'm going to be in the story later," <laughs> right? But you get what I'm saying. Okay, so the li- here's the lyrics to the song. Okay, when he sings, when Edward sings, "What if I said I met a witch when I was very young? What if I said she showed me how I die?" Mm-hmm. And then the witch comes on and she's like, "Ooh, look at my magic crystal ball!" And she kind of walks away. That's how I've seen it both times. But I think, but he's like, if he's mm-hmm. talking to will because young will is there and in my head i picture him like maybe he turns and he's like kind of talking to the he's talking to will but also talking to the audience and kind of like most like motions one direction and you just see a silhouette of the witch kind of moving you know like 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 lit from behind through a screen and she you see her moving around you know you see you see the witch without actually seeing her and then when he says in the next line what if i said i met a giant wasting in a cave right and then the other side you see like the, mm-hmm. the silhouette of the giant on the other side. And then when it when the chorus kicks in for the second time, he says, all my life of story, son, and everyone is true. So believe me, as I'm telling you, be the hero of your story while you, while you may, that whole thing. Mm. I think it's traditionally when everybody that you're going to see in the story comes out and kind of does whatever. Right. I think at that point, then you can bring the different kind of like bit characters on, but not the witch or the giant. And maybe not even Calloway. You know. Okay. And so I would just would bring in more like just ensemble characters of like that kind of hint at what we're going to see versus like just the character, if that makes sense. Sure. Just because those three characters are important to the story, but they also have a solo, kind of. Carl kind of has a solo, <laughs> but yeah. Um, he's a, but he's an integral part of the story. So not introducing like these secondary characters right away, I think is, I I feel like would be a kind of a more fun way to do it. Well, and I think that is a stronger way to set up the fact that so much of what is about to happen is fantastical storytelling Mm -hmm. and not necessarily 100% true. Right. Which, honestly, I think if they could have gone a little bit further with the metaphors, that would have been more effective. Like like the central metaphor, this idea of of a big fish. Mm -hmm. There's a couple references to... You know, fish at the beginning and then like the mermaid pops up a couple of times. But I wish they had made more of the fish metaphor and that Edward is the big fish mm-hmm. that I think maybe that would have been more effective for me. And I think what you're talking about here helps set that up better. 
Okay. Well, I'm glad you like my idea. Uh, but then, <laughs> well, then the next thing I said was another thing about spoilers. Not even though we spoiled this entire show at this point, the reveal of <laughs> Calloway being a werewolf is like, and then gone. Right. <laughs> he shows up and he's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, well, I'm a werewolf, and he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, oh yeah, you're a werewolf. That's cool. Whatever. And I'm like, I feel like there might there might need to be some for me. I would try to set up some character beats for him leading up to that reveal that kind of hint at it without it just showing up out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he scratches himself like like that or something that kind of hints at more like a little bit more of an animalistic nature of the character versus like when we just see him. Oh, and by the way. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Because he, he mentions like he's talking. <laughs> Halloway mentioned something to Edward about secrets. And then he's like, oh, my secret is that I'm a werewolf. But that's kind of it. There's no like, there's no right. like hints at it. it. He just shows up. He's like, oh, I'm a werewolf. Yeah. And so I would like to kind of set it up so that it's not just like he's here and then he's gone. Yeah. And then when he shows up during uh, start over, you kind of take his ringleader or his ringmaster outfit and his werewolf outfit and put them together to kind of make it look like, oh, he's em- mm. he's embraced this part of him. So he's just a hairier dude now or something like that. I think that'd be a little more because like the show, like that character's growth as well, because like the, he kind of alludes to it. Like he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's like met my I met my he got married. He has a wife now and she's cool with the fact that I'm a werewolf. Right. But I don't know. I just I would probably do it in a way to where it's his like he's kind of in, like he visually looks like he's embraced it more. OK. Sure. And then the last thing that I said that I would I would like to change a little bit is to make a bigger deal about Edward dying and making it a little more fantastical. The ways that mm. I've seen it interpreted is like, oh, they just all kind of show up and he's there and then he sings and then it's like it shows him in the him in the bed and then it flatlines and he dies. You just hear a flatline and that's it. I feel like I would interpret that and then the funeral scene after that in a little bit of a different way to make it a little more fantastical. I think they could have followed the movie ending closer. I yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. Where like he puts Edward in the water and he turns into a fish and swims away, right? Mm. And in one production they kind of allude to that, I think, uh because there's they had the the pit was the river and they're all standing at the edge mm. of the river and like a fish goes whoop and like jumps out of the water. Yeah. A big a big fish jumps out of the water. I'm like, "Oh, okay, sure." Right. Um, but I think like I would set it up in a way where uh, you see Edward go into the water and like he waves at everybody and then he just like sinks into the water. Mm. Yeah. And then you see a fish jump out or something yeah. like something. It's a little more fantastical versus what we got. Right. And I, I think that that was the ending I was expecting, you know, especially having watched the film first. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think they really set up. The idea of the big fish as a metaphor in the musical. Right. And I, I imagine some of that just comes from technical limitations. Probably. But that, I mean, that, like I said, that's just how I would how I would like to interpret it a little bit better. Those are, that's director's notes with Brantley Wheeler. It's funny, we have totally opposite tastes in musicals, but I think we have very similar directorial vision. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's the only reason this friendship works. <laughs> We're a weird friendship. You love it. Yeah, well. 
All right, so let's go on to the next segment of our show. <laughs> the fan casting segment. Yes. What characters do we want to try to cast in this? I have three that I have thoughts about. Edward, Sandra, and Amos Calloway. Uh-huh. Okay. I couldn't really think of anyone for Will, and I, I don't know. My brain has just been blanking. All I could think of was the same sure. like 12 actors we talked about last episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. All right. So if you're going to dreamcast the show, who is your Edward, who is your Sandra, and who is your Amos? I have a couple of choices. Um, I, well, actually, okay. let's start with Amos Calloway. When I found out that Alex Brightman was in the original Broadway cast and he wasn't playing Amos Calloway, I was horrified. Would he not be amazing? <laughs> He's my only choice. He would. I just want him as Calloway. Uh, for Edward Bloom, I think I like Jeremy Jordan. I think he's got that that same kind of like Southern charm that Norbert Leo Butts brings, mm-hmm. and they kind of have a similar timbre. I don't think he's old enough. So in my dream casting, we're right. aging him up probably ten or fifteen years. But you know he has to be able to play young. I don't know. Maybe Jeremy Jordan. I also think maybe mm-hmm. Aaron Tveit would be an interesting choice, and there is precedence of him playing okay. a character that Ewan McGregor played on screen, on stage with Moulin Rouge. True. So that could be fun. <laughs> and then uh, for Sandra, I don't know. I, I these are the three I wrote. They they're good in everything, but there's not someone that I besides. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kate Baldwin was great. Right. Yeah, she was fantastic. Uh, I wrote Laura Benanti. Oh yeah. Uh, Jesse Mueller. Solid. And Carrie Butler. Okay. Those are my three. That they could do anything and I would see it. Well, I'll I'll say this. Why don't we have Zachary Levi play Edward and then have Jeremy Jordan play Will and then you put Laura Benanti in for Yeah. For uh for Okay, Sandra Zachary and just... Levi did cross my mind and only because I didn't think of him last time for company and I was very angry at myself because he would also right. be an excellent Robert um right I see okay if those three were together I would do it the way you've just described however I mm-hmm. like Jeremy Jordan as an Edward type better and I like Zachary Levi as a Will type better but I wouldn't cast them that way sure. with each other uh, yeah I can see that uh I would I would only cast Zachary Levi as well if we had an older Edward. Yeah. But I don't know who that would be at the top of my head. Who else is... In, do you have Dreamcast thoughts? Well, I mean, if, if you're going to cast anyone as Amos Calloway, you might as well just cast Danny DeVito again. Because Danny DeVito plays him in the movie. Right. Well, that's where I was like, oh, Alex Brightman would be great in this part. And then I was scrolling through the Wikipedia and I was like, yeah. he was in the Broadway cast. And then I was like, oh, but he didn't play Miss Calloway. <laughs> Never mind. Right, he played Zachy. He played played one of the, he played Don's sidekick. Yeah. His brother, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. His brother. Yeah. Don Price and Zachy Price. Right. I mean, I also think that if you could, you could put Renee Elise Goldsberry in for Sandra and I think that'd be really good Ooh, too. Yeah. I also want to see her play the witch because I know she would sing the heck out of that song. Oh yeah, I mean honestly, either one of those would be would be great. Mm. I just love her in general, so whatever she does, I'm like, yes, I'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do we want to do another like worst potential casting? You can. Oh wait, wait, wait. What about this? What about this? <laughs> 
Sorry, before we do that, what about Brian Darcy James as Edward? Oh, I love him. I love him too. He's so great. You know what, though, is that he could probably make Edward redeemable for me. Then I think that's what we need to do. We need to put Brian Darcy James as Edward. Because because his Dan in Next to Normal changed my opinion of Dan. So. Oh, oh really? Yeah. I, well, I find well, Dan well. to be kind of unlikable in Next to Normal, uh, especially the uh, uh, J. Robert Spencer's portrayal. But Brian mm-hmm. Darcy James plays a much more sympathetic character. So if anybody can do it, he can. Yes, I will see this. <laughs> Okay. Let's go. So so let's nail this out then. Let's nail this out then. So we have Brian Darcy James as Edward. Yes. Who's Will? You want to go Zachary Levi? Do we want to use up our... Can I recast Zachary Levi in every show? <laughs> I mean, I think it's fair if you want to. We're just, just going to cast Levi the same 10 people over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Because they're our favorites and we want to see them in everything. Yeah. Well, and if we're going to, so Brian Darcy James, like, then I think you could pull Jeremy Jordan or Aaron Tveit into the Will role. Let's go Aaron Tveit. I like that. I think I like that better. Oh, and him singing Stranger would be so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) Then who, so who's Sandra then? We have so many Is it Laura Benanti or is it, there's so many. Even Philippa Sue would do a great job. I thought that too when you said Renee Lee Goldsberry. I think maybe just well, let's pick yeah. seven or eight, and then every performance of the week, someone else <laughs> plays it. Just, just rotate them in. Pick, pick like our favorite eight leading ladies. Ariana DeBose. Just why not just circle them all in? You know. <gasps> Ariana DeBose. That's the thing about Sandra is that like if you have a a relatively pretty voice, pretty much anybody can play that part. You just right. have to be able to make lovey dovey eyes you, at Edward. But you have to well. just pick one. You just what? have to pick one. I can't one. pick one. I get you have eighteen thousand options. Pick one. I will compromise and pick eight. <laughs> one for every performance of the week. Okay. So just uh we'll just insert your favorite one, whatever whatever production you want to go see. Whoever's Sandra, you'll be like, Great. I mean if you wanna stunt cast maybe like a Sarah Borellis. Get some sure. non-theater interest. She's currently playing the baker's wife, so that could be good. That's true. Yeah, yeah. With Brian Darcy James. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm. That is true. <laughs> yeah. And then throw Alex Brightman in there as Amos Calloway. We got a show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'd see that. I think the conclusion I've just come to is that the musical theater parts of the musical, I think, are great, but storytelling wise I think the movie does a better job telling the story I don't disagree I think you get a little bit more a little bit more out of the story in the movie than you do in the hmm. in the musical my my general closing thoughts are just that I mean I I didn't hate it I didn't love it but <laughs> I'm glad we did it because I, I do like talking about the things that you like too it's it's nice to talk right. with you about something that you're passionate about yeah not so much for me i don't like talking about things you're passionate about because i hate it (sighs) what are your final thoughts my final thoughts of this show are are that i absolutely love this show and nothing's ever going to change that this show just gets me it's probably the most emotional i've ever been watching a musical and it's gonna have a special place in my heart forever it just is i want to do this show like, I want to be in it. I was going to say, if you meet at school, we're going to have to have the right people come along, and you're going to have to 
campaign to convince me, I think. Yeah. Or you direct well, it. Well, I think too that I personally think that if you were <laughs> if you were to direct it, you would direct Edward in a way that you're like, I don't like this character, so I'm gonna make I'm gonna direct it in a way that you're a d- I don't think you can. <laughs> you don't think you can direct him in that way? No, I think you have to direct him in a likable way, like otherwise it doesn't serve the story. Yeah. That's true. I just happen to think he's an unlikable character. Right. You're allowed to be wrong, it's fine. I'd also be in charge, so Yeah. <laughs> hear you rolling your eyes yes <laughs> it's not i'm not subtle about it no it's the greatest show man it's produced by brantley wheeler and emily chavone our theme song is by the incredibly talented patrick duffy links to all his social media in the episode description you can find us on all the socials at greatest show pod tweet at emily and tell her why her opinions are bad and she should feel bad if you have any suggestions for a musical we should cover in the future, send us an email at thegreatestshowpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Oh, I did write. Uh, in my notes, I wrote, Daffodils is a chef's kiss love song, is what, is what I wrote. That's how I feel about it. And then I also wrote, I, I also wrote, I might be in love with Andrew Lippa. Like, I'm not sure. It's a weird feeling I have. (laughs) I don't blame you. So I was like, all right, well, maybe. Anyway. uh, There's just something about a New York-based, middle-aged Jewish man who writes musical theater. (laughs) You get it. You get it. 1980s Stephen Sondheim. (laughs) And that's how I feel about present-day Andrew Lippa. Like... (laughs) We have a type. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. All right. <laughs> All right, so. Andrew Lippa is our type, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Apparently. Our collective type. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Andrew Lippa, if you're listening and you want to be a thruple, we're down. <laughs>